This is Bloomberg Business of Sports. We're in a situation that we haven't dealt with in modern times. The pandemic here has really accelerated the investments that we've been advocating for for years. From a macro standpoint, I think our sport industry is really forced to look at the business a little bit differently. In-depth conversations with the leaders in the sports industry. Esports is a good aberration. We're still moving forward. We're part of something much bigger than sport right now. The health and safety of our stakeholders is what's most important. Every moment, I think we're all from a business perspective thinking about the impact that the virus is having across the country. Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Hi, everyone. I'm Jason Kelly. And I'm Mike Lynch. And I'm Michael Barr, and this is the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. Well, I love getting together on Mondays, guys, because we sort of get to break down the weekend. You know, I spent some time, we were talking a little bit before we came on the air, about, you know, seeing some live sports, some live youth sports, my own youths uh, playing some sports, <laughs> which is a, a sign of life. I know Lynchy made his way to a neighboring town in order to uh, avoid some chores and took in a, in a game. Not that he wasn't excited about the game, uh, fans uh, up in the Massachusetts area, but uh Sports are back in, in, in a big way, and certainly a couple of tournaments are front and center, the NCAA women's and men's basketball tournaments. Michael Barr, what would you make of it this week? Were you watching games? Oh, yes, I was, because I'm in the pool. I got money on these things. Man. <laughs> and I, I think what I, I am impressed in my bracket, believe it or not, is still intact, because Ooh. in the men's NCAA tournament, Three of the top four seeded teams at the beginning are still in it, yeah. and I have those teams going deep in this. So we're going to see what's going to happen uh, as we progress. But uh, I, I've got Gonzaga going all the way. Gonzaga looks pretty good. Gonzaga yeah. looks very good, uh, Lynchy. Those Catholics uh, doing doing <laughs> themselves okay, although Nova um, obviously didn't didn't quite get there. Uh, although there weren't a huge amount of expectations there. What did you make of the the games? I mean, it, it feels like they are pulling it off in Indianapolis. They are. And, you know, it's the way that the, the cameras frame the court, they, they frame out uh, fans anyway. The only time you see fans is like a cutaway shot, and then you see, you know, how spaced out they are, unless they're a family all sitting together. And most of the time they show coaches' wives and coaches' children who, who are, you know, in all kinds of angst watching right. <laughs> watching the game, but yeah, they are they're pulling it off. Um, unlike the NCAA hockey, which had to have two major universities forfeit, Notre Dame and and Michigan had to forfeit because of COVID. Knock on wood, it's working in Indianapolis. I mean, all those teams that are out there playing in three or four different venues, uh, in hotels, eating the same food in the same places, it's working. And um, you know, knock on wood, uh, they're not too far from the finish line. Yeah, and, you know, this is a bubble that's getting smaller. There is no expansion yeah. to the bubble at this point, as best I can tell. And, um, you know, so now as we record this on, on Monday morning, we're down to the Elite Eight. Um, by the end of the night, Tuesday night, we'll, be, we'll have the Final Four set. So you would imagine that unless something really weird happens, they, they are in a very good spot to finish this out. Um, you know, next Monday we'll be talking about the the final matchup, which is which is pretty amazing. Um, the other interesting thing to watch over the weekend was so much interest. It feels like a heightened interest in the women's NCAA tournament. Mm -hmm. And setting aside for a moment, you know, everything that's been going on as it relates to the economic inequality between these two tournaments, 
a huge amount of interest on the broadcast side, on the social media side, in this matchup on Saturday, UConn versus Iowa. And, you know, two freshman players who really are going to dominate the women's game for some time to come. UConn, shockingly, uh, ends up on top. But I was actually surprised and pleasantly so, Lynchy, that it really drew a lot of interest and folks are tuning in. They are, and there's uh, there's so many. I have three daughters. Uh, they're in their thirties now. I coached uh, girls uh, basketball at sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, and I just I felt a surge in those three years of interest and participation, and the number of girls that were trying out. Now here we fast forward a few years later, and we've got the the most storied. Uh, college basketball, women's college basketball. I know Tennessee can make an argument, but uh, it is UConn for, for this day and age. And, you know, if you're a purist, basketball purist, there's something about the women's game that's so enjoyable to watch because they actually pass the basketball yeah. and they actually set picks and rolls. And if you're a fundamentalist and you like it, uh, this is a great, a great, uh, it's a great showcase. And what's interesting, uh, Michael Barr, is that and we saw this to some extent. It's it's interesting comparison between the professional women's game and the professional men's game and the college women's game, the college men's game. Um, incredibly front and center when it comes to social media, the women's players are. And that seems to be helping in terms of viewership and tuning in. Exactly. And, and that's why social media... This is a plus, let's put it that way, for social media. And it's helping to get the women's basketball out there. And, and I, I, I'm like what uh, Lynchy was saying. I enjoy it because the skills of the game are highlighted. Yeah. And, and I love seeing that. I, I, I love seeing the passing. I love seeing someone set up. It, it's, it's, very, it's very cool. And, and a shout-out, by the way, because Baylor – uh, for the women, uh, they look good, and uh, this could be a Baylor year for both the men's and women's basketball teams. Yeah, Baylor looking strong in, in both of those brackets, that's for sure, and a lot of people, uh, as you mentioned, uh, on the men's side, a lot of folks have Gonzaga. A lot of folks uh, have Baylor at least uh, getting to that final game, and we'll see uh, how that all ends up. I mean, speaking of, the, of women in social media, I came across something via – Kendall Baker and Axios this morning. It's a newsletter that I read just about every day. He's very smart about all things sports and especially uh, digs into some of the sports business side. Talking about name, image, and likeness, which, uh, full disclosure, I'm working on a piece for uh, Quick Take Originals over at Bloomberg about this. And name, image, and likeness, as you guys well know, is this whole notion of athletes being compensated for their N-I-N-L, N-I or L. And What's fascinating, and, and Lynchy, you alluded to this, the UConn women's program, I mean, I think a UConn fan, uh, and I've talked to many over the years, mm-hmm. would say, you know, this is one of the most dominant college teams. The only comparison that I think you can really make across basketball is probably UCLA back in the, in the wooden days in terms of just the the length of this dynasty it's incredible and what's so interesting about it in this Kendall Baker piece is they actually go through and they rank the social media followings and start to put a number on what these women and there are some men on this list too in college could earn uh and these these especially in the case of the women 
could be their sort of peak earning when it comes to their uh, athletic uh, careers in, in many ways. So interesting to think about uh, when that comes into effect, which it's going to come into effect in a couple states later this year. There's some federal legislation, uh, maybe not surprisingly, led by Chris Murphy, who is a Democratic senator, U.S. senator from Connecticut, to, <laughs> to get players paid for the, for their name, image, and likeness. And, you know, Lynchy, for me, this is overdue. It's fair. It's a way to, you know, compensate athletes that doesn't involve them being paid directly by the institutions. I, I think the time's come. You know, I've always been the contrarian on this, and I'm going to still be the contrarian here. I, I just see that they're getting a $300,000 education, that their college uh, playing experience is their platform to showcase their talent, increase their visibility, marketability, and their worth. And they wouldn't be able to accomplish any of this if they weren't playing on the stage of college basketball, which just about every single game is is televised. So. I'm going to go uh, the other way on this one, Jace. I'm sorry, buddy, but uh, no, I'm, I'm interested. I, listen, you are not alone in in uh, <laughs> yeah. in in making this case. Uh, I think that your your ranks, I dare say, are shrinking uh, on this. <laughs> but you know, we'll we'll see. We'll see. All I'm right, going Barr. down fighting. I'm going yeah. down fighting. <laughs> Bar, you're the tiebreaker here. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, Lynchy. I got oh, Jason on. on this, man. Uh, I mean, here's the thing. And and this is the part where I, I have the problem. You can make the argument, what you're saying, Ling Chi, about, you know, money for, you know, putting up for the education. But if you're going to use my likeness in a game, and no, it's, I, I, I can't go along with that. It's That's where I've got the problem. So it. I love everybody. So, that's all I'm say. <laughs> I mean, Lynchy, the the interesting argument that I've heard of late, and and I have been digging into this uh, fairly deeply, um, and I spoke to a lawyer who's going to be arguing this before the Supreme Court, and and one of the things that one of the arguments that he makes, um, you know, sort of against the the argument you're making, is this notion that athletes are set aside and set differently from a scientist or a journalist or anybody else on campus who may also be getting a scholarship for, for what they're doing and they can be paid, you know, and they can be somehow compensated for, for the work that they create or, or something that they do. So I, I just feel like it's something that, that really does need to be looked at. And, and certainly we can, we can agree to disagree. And I, and I certainly do not diminish the uh, the value of an education, and that is a huge, huge boon um, for sure in, in many of these cases. But um, we'll see where it ends up. I mean, it, it is this is the year where where this is going to be figured out, and uh, you know, it, it's also and and we can move on to the next topic in a minute. But th- there's also you know this vast difference between you know how athletes in basketball slash football sort of the big tier sports versus the other sports are treated. And um, there is a, there's a perversion as it were of the whole amateurism model. And I guess the big question is how do we fix that um, going forward? Cause something went awry at some point in terms of the money that's being made by the coaches and, and all of those things. And, you know, you guys know I come from the South and when I look at the fact that, in many, many states, the highest paid state employee is the head football coach. And then the second highest paid is either the basketball coach or an assistant football coach. Like something's a little off there. 
just in terms of the economics of all this. But there's so many other perks. I mean, these these kids don't have to stand in line to register for a class. They're just uh, if you're a varsity basketball or football player, your classes are already registered by uh, some coordinator within the football or basketball office. Your books are bought for you. I mean, the only th- thing that I make the lean the other way is that if any of this. Uh, income they generate from the uh, name image and likeness is put in escrow and they can't touch it Mm. until they either leave school or they graduate i just don't see Hmm. it's see you know johnny uh mckenzie walking around campus with you know ten thousand bucks in his pocket and driving a brand new corvette that's what i don't want to see interesting all right well we'll see where the where the courts and the legislate legislatures uh ultimately come down on this meanwhile more money coming speaking of money (laughs) To the NFL, the players, certainly the owners, certainly the league, more broadcast money because we're going to have an extra game. Uh, You know, I didn't know until I looked into it, uh, Michael Barr, this was a very close vote for the players. The players are not, despite the fact that there is at least some measure of additional marginal revenue coming to them, uh, many, many, many were not uh, in favor of this. I, I used to be one of those guys yeah, it's like, give me more games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> when you have that many games and you see all the injuries, because you're going full out, and and that's what changed my mind. I, I remember back in the day when it went from 14 to 16. Yeah. And and I was thinking, yeah, okay, let's let's make it 18 now. But uh, my goodness. Which, by the way, that move from 14 to 16, keep me honest here, guys, that was in the 70s, right? I mean, that 70, was a long time. 78. Yeah. 1978. Yeah. Yep, it, it, it's it's hard because these guys are going full out, and and I mean, you think of just the gruesome injuries that are out there. It's it's scary. So I am, if anything, I'm for cutting back on the exhibition games and just mm-hmm. keeping it at 16 games. Well, um, you've been outvoted. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> outside yeah, yeah. It, uh, <laughs> by the league. I mean, so Lynchy, is this just about money? Absolutely, 100% about money for the owners right here. And uh, it's another game that's being televised. It's not a preseason game where there are very few eyeballs on it, especially that, that fourth preseason game. Yeah. I mean, no, nobody's playing in that game. And, you know, the, the, the starters don't even have to take a shower. They don't even have to wash the uniforms. But this is big. And, you know, when, when the Super Bowl ends on the first Sunday in February, we're all wanting for more. So now yeah. it's going to go another week. It's going to go the weekend, the Sunday before uh, President's Weekend. Uh, it, uh, it, the players approved it in the CBA agreement last year. Um, their only gripe right now is health and safety. But I think the league has done a good job. Concussions were, was, was, was such a hot-button topic a few years ago, and you rarely hear about that right now. Um, they have uh, changed the, uh, the, the kickoff uh, where a lot of injuries happen, and there aren't a lot of injuries happening in the kicking game anymore. So I think the league has gotten a little bit safer than it was before. Um, and now I think it's time. I think 17 games is great because I can't stand watching four games that mean absolutely nothing. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. I mean, one of the sort of ripple effects, and I think we've joked about this on this show before, but it is not a joke in some ways is that if you do, and it looks like this is what's going to happen, you push the Super Bowl back to that that second Sunday in February, mm-hmm. which gives you President's Day as the day after, all of a sudden you have <laughs> Super Bowl Monday as effectively a national holiday. So, I mean, there is a not insignificant ripple effect of people being like, yeah, I'm going to have an even bigger Super Bowl, Super Bowl party <laughs> because 
Monday's going to be that much better. Well, um, see, it, now, now it, okay, here I oh, here's here the contrarian go. here because when you push it back, and you know my favorite sport oh, is NASCAR, oh, and Lord. you have clashed into the Daytona 500, <laughs> I am not happy about that at all. It, it's it, I, it, okay. <laughs> But isn't the I, Daytona 500 on it? That's on Monday, right? No, it's Sunday. on Sunday. Oh, it's, it's on a Sunday. Sun, Sunday, Sunday, it's Sunday. Sunday. Oh, oh, interesting. Sunday. So, what do you think yeah. they'll do? If you well, were running NASCAR, what would you do? You're going to have to push it back. You're, yeah. you're going and if you can do it, I mean. You know, messed up my schedule, man. Yeah. Watching NASCAR. <laughs> it was, wow. Oh, so what? What can I say, man? I'm just ripple it, effects all over the place here. See, it, it, NASCAR fans know what I'm talking about. It, yeah, it's just weird. We're very protective flat. of that Sunday. We wow. are. We are. It's you know. Valentine, even though sometimes it fell on Valentine's Day, it was okay. It's yeah, like, sorry. You know, sorry, honey. Yeah. <laughs> Baby, I'll with you in a second. Don't worry. Yeah, exactly. No, I'm not looking over your shoulder at the TV. What? No. <laughs> Did I say I wanted to take you to dinner at a sports bar? I don't know. That doesn't, that doesn't make sense. Oh, they do have a TV here? Good. Um, well, if you're a sad NASCAR fan over this, there are a lot of sad uh, soccer fans in the United States today and last night because once again the national effort on the men's side notably of the world of soccer in the United States came up a little bit short not going to be in the Olympics Lynchy and I don't know I mean I feel like for those who aren't really steeped in this this is one of those kind of things you look at the headline you're like yeah they're not very good yeah, well, this is the third straight Olympics. They failed to qualify. Yeah. Uh, they lost to Honduras yesterday. 16 teams qualify for the Olympics, so it's really hard to swallow that the United States cannot be one of the 16 best teams in the planet and not go to Tokyo. This is a major, major disappointment. They didn't go to the World Cup last time. Uh, all the apologists are saying, well, we've, we've, we've got a good foundation, a good base. We're going to come back and qualify for the World Cup in, in 2022. I mean, you know, we, we, we're losing to teams that, that, that are smaller than some of our states in this country geographically yeah. and population-wise. And that's just, I just don't get it. This, uh, this, this whole men's soccer program needs a major, major overhaul. Maybe they should have the women come in and run the whole thing because they get it figured out and they know how to do it. Yeah. Well, and certainly, you know, and there are, to be clear, there, there are different rules or yeah. there are different decisions that have been made in terms of, on the men's Under side 23. versus the women's yeah. side, yeah, who can yeah. who can play the type of team that is fielded for the Olympics. So for the women, it's basically the same folks, the same women who play both in the World Cup play in the Olympics. Uh, so you've got, you know, the Megan Rapinos and, and whatnot to the world playing uh, on those same teams. This men's team that would have gone to the Olympics, the Olympic hopefuls, is not the same U.S. men's national team that uh, I was going to say played in the World Cup that failed to play in the last World Cup. So um, that's consistent. They're, they're still not making it to the big show in their respective, uh, in their respective categories. So it is a problem, though, and it is, it is holding, I think, this is not a controversial thing to say, Michael Barr, it is holding back the game from an economic and a business perspective yes. in the United States because there is not that level of excitement and 
it only reinforces this idea that if you really want to play at the top level of football, as they call it everywhere else in the world but here, you you need to be in Europe or elsewhere. Primarily yeah. Europe, you need to be in the EPL, the English Premier League. And even the MLS, the Major League Soccer here in the United States, has struggled because it just doesn't get the best players in the world. So it's not the best product. And guess what? We know this from a business perspective. The best product is what ultimately draws the most fans. And so you have – this is another thing that I'm, I'm diving into right now. You have a lot of people who live in a city in the United States who are much more devoted to – Chelsea or Man United or Arsenal or Liverpool or now Wrexham because it's owned by Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhaney um, than they are their local MLS club because their local MLS club is like, yeah, it's fine. They, they play soccer, but they're not very good. It, and that's a big deal. If you don't have the best product, you can't draw in the best sponsors. Right. And that that's a major problem. And so I, I'm, I don't know how to solve it and, and Lynch you hit the nail on the head maybe you should have the women figure this out because yeah. they've got it going on and I, you know it's too bad because and I if the U.S. was in the Olympic soccer tournament there would be a, a big draw and right. you know it's right. too bad it's too, really well too bad. and you know we've we've had and you can go back in into the archives of this podcast and listen to you know, lawyers on each side of the debate around equal pay and equal compensation between the U.S. men's national team and the U.S. women's national team. That is ongoing. Uh, speaking of court battles, we'll see more of that uh, play out this year. But, you know, this is a real issue uh, that certainly needs to be solved. And it's not like there's a lack of interest on the youth level in terms of soccer. We've you know, all had kids play soccer, I know, and we had Ben Sherwood uh, from Mojo on this podcast a few weeks ago talking about, you know, that pipeline, as it were, uh, of girls and boys who, who are playing soccer. So it's not a lack of interest. This isn't a baseball issue. This is a this is an issue of like they just can't convert uh, at that higher level. And uh, it's an issue. It's definitely an issue. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast. I'm Michael Barr. You can follow me on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. And I'm Mike Lynch. You can follow me at LynchyWCVB. And I'm Jason Kelly at Jason Kelly News. We're here each and every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday exploring the world of money and sports. Join us again toward the end of the week. It is getting closer and closer to opening day. We're going to talk with Sam Kennedy, president of your, and by your I mean Lynchy's, Boston Red Sox. (laughs) By the way, if you guys want a treat, go on Twitter. And look at Lynchy when he was starting at 82 at WCBB. <laughs> Looks like he's on Baywatch. You're listening to Bloomberg <laughs> Business of Sports on Bloomberg Radio around the world and online wherever you get your podcasts.